The gunman sights his target through the powerful scope mounted on his rifle. He twists the focus knob until the target's image comes in crystal clear. He holds his breath, like he's been taught, feeling his heartbeat pounding in his chest. In between beats, he squeezes the trigger, still looking through the scope at what he's hit. Bullseye! The watermelon explodes in a spray of red and green, and the gunman imagines that this is what his victim's head will look like when the time comes. He smiles, satisfied with himself. He reaches for his stopwatch and clicks it off, reading the time and writing it down on his notepad. Not bad, he thinks. But he needs to shave another three seconds from the procedure. To the left of where the first watermelon had disintegrated, he sees the second watermelon sitting on the six-foot stump. They'd been set up to simulate the approximate height of a real person. There were three of them altogether, and now there were two more left to practice on. Once again, he starts from the beginning, clicking the stopwatch on and laying it down next to him. He quickly slides the bolt back, ejecting the spent cartridge and sliding another from the clip into the breech. His eye goes automatically to the end of the scope, and he holds his breath again. Then the counting of the heartbeat and the squeeze and the second watermelon explodes with the same spray of rind and meat and seeds. He grabs the stopwatch and clicks it off, looking at his time. That's more like it, he thinks. A full two seconds faster. Two seconds could make all the difference in the world as far as he was concerned. The third time he managed to shave another second and a half off of his best time and he knew he was ready. They'd be talking about this downtown for months, he thought, maybe all across the country. He clicked the stopwatch on again and began breaking down his rifle and slipping it into the padded suitcase with foam cushions for each piece. Satisfied with his time, he grabbed the suitcase and hurried down the stairs and out to where the watermelons had sat on their stumps. He clicked the stopwatch off and checked his time. He smiled to himself and knew that the police would never be able to respond fast enough to catch him afterwards. It was time to take his act on the road. I rose early that morning in late November. Amy was still fast asleep and my new son, Clay, still hadn't stirred. I looked at the wall clock in the kitchen. It was just past 6 a.m. and my day of investigations was just about to get underway. I'd been hired by an insurance company to get proof that one of their client's employees had filed a fraudulent disability claim. I left my suit hanging in the closet and opted for a more casual ensemble to better blend in with my surrounding while keeping an eye on Henry Carpenter. Carpenter had claimed that he had fallen on a slippery floor in the factory where he riveted aluminum light fixture parts together. A preliminary investigation by the company's foreman, Hank Fleming, had been included in the report that they'd turned over to me. They suspected Carpenter had spilled a little oil on the floor, and then, when he was sure there were enough witnesses in the area, took a well-choreographed fall and stayed down until the ambulance attendants hauled him away on a stretcher. Since that day five weeks ago, Henry Carpenter has been unable to lift anything heavier than two pounds. At least, that's what his disability claim stated. I had scoured the records looking for anything I could use to help with my investigation into the man who was apparently trying to make a living off of his ability to fake an injury. So far, all I had was a name and address and whatever else had been in his employee file. If I wanted to expose this guy for fraud, I'd have to be just as clever as he was, if not more so. 